A few years ago, an upstate New York couple filed a petition against their 30-year-old son to evict him from their house after he repeatedly refused to leave. The son who'd been living in his parents' basement for eight years had been continually dismissing their attempts to kick him out. And so their parents included in their petition many letters they sent to their son. February 2nd, 2018, Michael, after discussing with your mother, we have decided that you must leave this house immediately. You have 14 days to vacate. You will not be allowed to return. We will take whatever actions necessary to enforce this decision. February 18th, 2018. Michael, here's $1,100 from us so that you can find a place to stay. Some advice, organize the things you need for work and to manage an apartment. Sell the other things you have that, that you don't have any need for, uh, things of significant value like a stereo, tools. This is especially true for any weapons you may have. You need the money and have no place for that stuff. There are jobs available, even for those with a poor work history like you. Get one. You have to work. If you want help finding a place, your mother has offered to help you. In May, they took him to court where a judge ordered the son to vacate immediately. One could look at the countercultural beatitudes we discussed last week that move us to humility, meekness, peacemaking. It sometimes involves persecution. And we can assume that Jesus is calling us to shield ourselves from the world, to run, to build up walls and fences. You know, maybe I should stay at home and never enter this crazy culture that fails to understand my ethic, what I believe, and is sometimes hostile to my faith. But like a loving parent, with an eviction notice, Jesus pushes every single one of us out. Turn to Matthew 5. Please have God's word in front of you. We have extra Bibles in the back. If you don't have one, that is our gift to you. In Matthew 5, Jesus knows that the Beatitudes are impossible to live in private. They're going to move us out into dark places. Seeking righteousness is going to move us into places where righteousness isn't upheld. Mercy means meeting needs, not only here in our church, but out there in the world. Peacemaking is going to take you into war zones, places where Jesus' kingship isn't observed, recognized, or known. Because Jesus knows it's impossible to live out the Beatitudes in isolation and really the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount in isolation, he wants us to consider the influence we have on our world. So look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. We've read through the Beatitudes last week. Matthew 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. Well, what, what, what does that mean? Growing up, you've probably hold, or, or heard different definitions of what it means to be salt. Some argue that salt was used back in the day as a preservative. You know, they didn't have refrigerators. Therefore, our role would be to hinder the moral decay in our world through redemptive works. We're to hinder evil through, through goodness and, and redemptive works. We're to prevent moral decay in our world. Some claim that salt was used as a fertilizer. Therefore, 
We should be out in the world tilling and, and salting soil so that the seeds of, of faith may take root. We're to cultivate environments of gospel receptivity. We're to till the soil and, and salt it so that people may put their faith and trust in Jesus. Some see salt as adding flavor. Now, in your marriage, there's generally one person who likes more flavor than the other person. One person who cooks and then the other person who puts salt on that food. And then the first person gets offended. How dare you? I just want some flavor. Like, give me some, some you know, Tony Sacheries or Danos or something like that. In a, in a world of, of strife, jealousy, and selfishness, through things like peacemaking, generosity, and selflessness, we ought to enhance the flavor of this world. All these different meanings of salt. And I wonder if Jesus chose to use this term to, to define us because it was so rich in meaning, because it had so many positive implications. Maybe, maybe we aren't meant to single out one specific meaning. So with that in mind, this is what I believe it means to be salt. I believe being salt is to be dynamically involved in this world for God's redemptive purposes. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes I'm told I'm writing something down and, and you move on. And uh, I, To be salt is to be dynamically involved in this world for God's redemptive purposes. You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. Agents of preservation who keep evil at bay. You cultivate environments of gospel receptivity. You positively impact the world and add flavor through living out your kingdom citizenship. And the you in this passage is plural. The you is not just for pastors. It's for every single person in this room who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I don't care if you're an extrovert, if you're an introvert, Male, female, senior, student, each grain of salt has influence. You are called to go out. You are the salt of the earth. Remember that. Look at verse 13b. But, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. This is an interesting statement. Because chemically, salt can't lose its saltiness. Like salt can't be less salty. It's a, uh, sodium chloride is a stable compound. And so I don't think Jesus is making uh, an argument about chemistry. I think he's making an ethical point here about being salty. If being salt means we are engaged in this world with a redemptive purpose, losing one's saltiness would be to abandon that part of who we are as Christians. For the Christian not living out this part of their identity, the language is actually very harsh. They are worthless as agents of change and redemption. So my question to you, Central Bible Church guests, friends, family, are you salty? <laughs> are you salty? Not in the cultural way we, turn, we tend to think about salty, but, but are you salty or do you have identity amnesia? Have you forgotten who you are in Christ? 
Have you forgotten why you're here? Your purpose on this earth is to glorify God, is to make disciples, it's to be salt and light. It's, it says to, you are salt. It doesn't just even say be salty. It's a statement of fact about who you are. Have you forgotten who you are? Are you so consumed with, with issues and stress and things and responsibilities that you've put down that part of your responsibility so much so that you, you never come back to it. It's no longer part of your identity. Do you have identity amnesia? There's a story of a man named Scott Bolzen who, who he slipped at work. He was actually a pilot. He slipped at, at work, not in a plane, but, but on the ground. Uh, and he slipped and he hit his head and claimed that he was unable to remember anything in his life leading up to that accident. He didn't recognize friends, family. He didn't know who he was. Past, friends, family, identity, all gone. To relearn his life story and rebuild a sense of, of self-identity and jog his memory, his wife would lay out pictures of his life chronologically from a young age and the meeting, going on dates and their kids being born. And I think still to this day, he, he claims to not be able to remember. And so he's essentially lived life twice. Because he forgot who he, who he was. Now, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not a, uh, a person who studies the brain or how memory works. I don't know if this is a hoax or a medical anomaly. But I think in the same way, many of us have hit our head and forgotten who we are in Christ. We're salt. You're salt. When, when laid out before us, God word, God's word reminds us what is true about us. You are the salt of the earth agents of preservation, redemption, and goodness dynamically involved in this world. Don't lose your saltiness. <laughs> Go into the world and be salty. Look at verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Our world is dark. <laughs> it's broken. California alone recently in the past like couple weeks had three mass shootings in, in one week. And you, you turn on the news, you're going to be inundated with stories of, of neglect, abuse, mistreatment, confusion, mental health issues like depression and anxiety continue to rise. People trapped in cycles of addiction, broken relationships. The news is full of broken people doing broken things. It seems like Netflix can't get off this sort of documentary. And it's always about somebody doing something bad and we get enamored with it and we watch it for hours. True crime. Sinner does sinful things. Confused person does confusing things. Many Christians see this darkness and they retreat. Especially since Jesus talked about the possibility of, of persecution. Man, the world's broken and people are going to persecute me for my faith. Hey, let's, let's hunker and bunker. Let's build walls. Let's build moats. Let's put up structures that keep me from, from the sinful, broken, dark, dark world. The world is scary. I fear for my kids. 
and what they get to grow up into. It was dark then. It's dark now. But you, you, Ben, you, Laura, you, Christina, you, you are meant to pierce that darkness. You. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We cannot run from darkness. We must permeate it. We must be in the midst of it. We must be light. Light is a, a very rich theme in, in Scripture. God is light. Christ is the light of the world. Christ is really the answer to that darkness. But God has chosen his people to reflect the light of Christ to this dark world. And the main thrust here is visibility. A city on a hill is not hidden. Neither should we be. Christianity, it's not about building monasteries off in the mountains. It's not, it's not about trying to build uh, 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 utopias, these perfect utopias that always inevitably fail, but these utopias somewhere in Pennsylvania or some rural part of the country. It's about taking the light of Christ to dark places. Christians are to be visible in this world. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Help me out, please, so I'm not up here by myself. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light, I'm going to keep going. Mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Jill, I'm taking over worship. Peyton, I'm leading worship from now on. We're to let our light shine. We're to be visible in this world, and our faith is most visible through, through good works, through acts of service and love that permeate and push back darkness. It's why we do things like overtime. Why don't we do something internal and, and you know, have, a, have a Bible study you know, Wednesday nights just as the church uh, we're going to spend our energy, I think that's good, and I think you parents need to disciple your kids, and we need to disciple our kids, and there may be something like that for one day, but right now, we are going to spend our energy, our resources, doing something like overtime. And I'm not saying this school is enveloped in darkness, but you will walk in and see dark. You're going to see individuals, uh, children, teachers, parents, struggling in darkness, groping about and we talked about things like neglect. We talked about abuse. Uh, we talked about cycles of sin. We see people in drugs, alcohol. Uh, we see kids going home and raising themselves, lost, confused about who they are. We have been called to be light in that, that darkness. It's, and guys, I'm not perfect in this. I don't do this in, in every environment, but it is why I'm involved here. It's why I'm at the high school. Again, high school, there, there are great kids there. there. There are great families there. But there are times where I walk in and I can just, I feel oppressed almost. It feels dark. Because there's kids and students, 14-year-olds, struggling with mental health, 
suicidal thoughts, who are essentially alone in this world. Their parents don't care about their education. Their parents don't care about Jack as long as they stay out of their hair. Who are struggling to understand what their identity is. Who am I? You know, what's, where do I fit in in all of, of this? And they're, they're trying to find out who they are and, and what's real and, and what's not. And they're groping about in the darkness. And, and we as a church, I as an individual, have been called to be light there. And it'd be easy to just to pull out and go, it's too dark here. There's too much junk going on. I want nothing to do with that. But we're called to be light. You're called to be light. It's not just my job. It's not just Doug's job. Guess what? Because we're imperfect. We're not even going to do it that great. It takes an entire community of light walking into these environments, sharing and reflecting the light of Christ with a purpose. We don't just shine for our own sake. We get, we get our purpose here. Look at verse 15 and 16. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Two things. First, it would be foolish to light a lamp and then hide it. <laughs> if we were a community that runs from darkness instead of to it, we are a community that has abandoned its identity for foolishness. One pastor said, a community of Christ that wants to be invisible is a community that no longer follows him. Put it under a bush, oh no. I'm not going to go the whole time. We're going to let it shine. I'm going to let it shine. Second, the goal of being light is found here so that others may glorify God. We let our light shine so people will see those good works and worship God. It's not about us. It's not about me. It's about the Lord we, we serve. We shine bright so that others may see God and be drawn to him. Like moths to a lamp. Like a lost soul living in the dark wilderness is drawn to, to city lights, which goes against every single thing we've heard about reaching people for Christ. We're often told to, to draw people in. We have to look like the world. We have to dress like the world. We have to talk like the world. Our, our churches need to look like concerts and, and, and things that, that the, the world uh, assumes to push. And I'm not dogging churches that do that. Uh, I, I'm not saying you can't be creative with, with how you do things. Uh, but I do think sometimes we fall into that when, when in reality being light is being different than the world. It's showing people a different way to live. And I'll tell you what, when that happens, people are drawn in. There may be people who disagree, but there will also be, for every person who disagrees, there's going to be people who, who are drawn in to, to something different. And most, most hear this and really ask the question like, okay, salt and life, what does this, what does this practically look like for me? 
What does it practically look like for, for me and, and my family? What does it mean to do good? In my neighborhood, at work, at school, in my family, with parents on my kids' sport teams? What, what does it look like to do good so that others may see that and ultimately worship God? There are three things I want you to think about. and You can write these down. Here's number one. Number one is just to display kingdom character. The Beatitudes are before this passage for a reason. Like being salt and light is living out the Beatitudes in the, the public arena. Things like humility, gentleness. Are you, are you humble and gentle at work? In your neighborhood, are you, are you a peacemaker? I mean, we're to display kingdom character. That's where it starts in doing good. And that, that kingdom character will ultimately lead us to, to do good works. And it, it's, not, it's not complicated. It's get out of the basement and serve people. Meet needs. Listen. I mean, be, be. There's a lot of talkers in our world. It, the world doesn't need more people who talk. It needs more people who will just listen and ask questions. Help new neighbors move in. Bring them cookies and invite them to dinner. You high school students, sit with people who you normally wouldn't sit with. Love people who are normally neglected. Spend time building relationships with the marginalized. Forgive your your enemies. Don't keep grudges. Don't use social media as a weapon. You guys at work, pay for your coworkers' lunch and, and ask about their life. Buy them coffee, donuts. These are little things that, that seem trivial to, to most of the world. But, but the idea is, you know, do, do things that are unexpected. Go against the, the grain of the world. Take initiative. Be intentional. Be purposeful. But, but don't stop there. Some people say, you know, stop there. That's good. You know, we're just called to be light. And that means just, just going and, and displaying your kingdom character and, and doing good. And they quote St. Francis of Assisi. No. Preach the gospel. And, and when necessary, use words. Here's the problem. He's never recorded saying that. Number two, the, the order of monks named after him, they were, they were actually known for their preaching. They were known for their, their communication of the gospel. In this passage we're studying today, our good works should move people to glorify God, which, which I believe implies repentance and conversion. But how will they know how to repent and seek new life and worship God if we don't talk about the gospel and how to enter into God's kingdom through faith. And so we are to display kingdom character that moves us to good works and gospel proclamation. Part of being salt and light is illuminating the the path to our, our loving father. And here's the deal. When you display kingdom 
character, when you are moved to, to loving action, people are going to be drawn in and eventually ask you a question. And here's the question. It's very complex. I'll just go, why? Why are you doing this? Why, 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 why are you the way you are? <laughs> like, what's the deal? What's going on? Like, why, why are you calm when, when everything seems to be falling apart? Why are you generous when everybody is, is selfish? Why aren't you yelling at the refs like every single parent does at the basketball? Like, why are you, why are you calm when, when bad things happen? Like, why are you caring and, and kind heart? Why are you interested in, in my life and what's, what's happening and my problem? Like, let's go, why? And we need to be eager to tell them why. When I'm asked why, I'll often say, you know, I try to be light and, and I'm not perfect in, in being light, but I try to be light because I myself was once in darkness. I remember what life was like living separated from God, the source of light and life. I know what it's like to, to be in sin and, and to be separated from God. Yet God worked through certain people in my early 20s who were salty light bringers. <laughs> and I remember asking, I remember looking at their life and the way they treated people, the way they cared for their wife, the way they parented their kids, the way they just served at our college camp. They didn't get paid. I was like, well, why are you doing this? And over time, they were able to communicate truth to me. That I myself am a sinner who needs to be saved, that God took on flesh, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross for my sins. He bore my sins so that I could be forgiven and know God, so that I have faith in the one who rose from the grave, the one who makes eternal life possible through his victory in death. And, and, and as I said, all of this happens through faith. And, and I put my faith in Christ and I moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of life. And although my life isn't perfect today, there's plenty of things that I can complain to you about. I know the joy, comfort, and peace that comes with following Christ. And I want others to know God and glorify him and be a light themselves. It all comes back to love. It all comes back to love. Fear, apathy, it will keep you isolated. Why don't people move out of their parents' basement? It's fear and apathy. Probably a mix of the two. Fear that they can't make it, scared of the world, or just apathy. I'm, I'm comfortable, you know, playing video games and living down here and eating ramen and I don't, you know, there may be a greater purpose for my life, but I just don't really care. Fear, fear and apathy will keep you isolated. Love, a love for God, for who he is and what he has done and, and God's love for you. And then that love overflows to, to other people. That love will drive you out. That love will will drive you to go and make disciples, to be salt and 
light. And, and here's the deal, and I've not shared this before. We love sharing and bringing to the world things that we love. A restaurant. And I love Wingstop. You ever had Wingstop's fries? The ranch, perfect consistency. You get the fries, you dip it in the ranch. It's the, it's, you know, I've never done drugs, uh, but it may be what it's like. I say I can relate um, to, to that. You know, we, we have no problem talking to people about those sorts of, you know, this movie, oh, did you see this movie? Changed my life. We have no problem talking about things that we love or sharing. How much more should we share the love of God with our world because of what he has done for us? Ranch is great. God is amazing. Love will ultimately drive us out. The one who knows the love of God, the one who loves God, the one who loves others, they need not an eviction notice to get out. They will be salt. They will be light. They will run to the darkness so that others may see God through their words and actions and others may believe in him and worship him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.